You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Okay, again, I'd like to welcome you all if you are a visitor. My name is uh, David. I'm actually uh, the minister here. And what we're going to do just now is look at God's Word. Um, I hope that it provokes you in a good way uh, to think and to love and to peace, not hate and anger. Um, and I hope that if you've got any questions, you'll feel free to uh, ask me at the end. I'll be at the door at the end. We have tea and coffee at the end. I want to present you with two visions of life. One is, uh, well, one you may recognize, uh, and the other is from the Bible, from the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. But let me read the first. Choose life. Choose a job. Choose a career. Choose a family. Choose a big television. Choose washing machines, cars, compact disc players, and electrical tin openers. Choose good health, low cholesterol, and dental insurance. Choose fixed rate, interest, mortgage repayments. Choose a starter home. Choose your friends. Choose leisure wear and matching luggage. Choose a three-piece suite on higher purchase in a range of fabrics. Choose DIY and wondering who you are on a Sunday morning. Choose sitting on that couch watching mind-numbing, spirit-crushing game shows, stuffing junk food into your mouth. Choose rotting away at the end of it all in a miserable home, nothing more than an embarrassment to the selfish brats you have spawned to replace yourself. Choose your future. Choose life. Of course, that's from train spotting for those of you who are cultured. Uh, Ewan McGregor turned it into a kind of rap, believe it or not. It's, it's a pretty bleak vision of life. And in, in, in train spotting, um, of course, it goes on to say, I chose not, I didn't choose life. In fact, they chose drugs. I think that's a picture and a pattern that is the only choice that many people see. Well, let's turn to what God says. Isaiah 55, it's on page 742. I'll read the first five verses and then we'll just take a wee bit of time to go through them. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I've made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Let's uh, look at the first verse of that. We'll go to the first slide because I don't think this thing is working. So if you can move me on, Jacinta, thank you. I uh, don't know how much you use your landline phone. Uh, for me, when ours rings, don't ever phone us on the landline because we just ignore it because it's just salespeople. So they always come on, have you had PPI? Or are you the homeowner? To which, because I live in a manse, I'd say, no. Do you rent your house? No. And that really confuses them. Um, <laughs> what used to confuse them even more was I'd say, no, but let me hand you to the one who is. And I would give it to Emma Jane. She's like three years old. Hello. <laughs> Um, 
But you know it, you, you see it. I remember one time a, uh, a guy phoned and he said, you know, I'm not trying to sell you something. And he was from a double glazing company. <laughs> we're just doing a survey, that's all. Of course they were trying to sell you something. You walk down past the cared hall and someone jumps out and uh, says, hey, come and get something to eat and drink here for free. I mean, are you not really suspicious of these people who hand you food for free? Well, I'm really, really suspicious. How bad must it be? Or, in this instance, the image that's used here in Isaiah is of an eastern marketplace where street vendors are shouting out, trying to get you to buy their wares, trying to get you to buy, in this case, uh, as we'll see, water and food. They're trying to sell something. Uh, We were in Hong Kong recently, and I don't know why, but it seemed like around every street corner I went, there was an Asian man who jumped out and offered to measure me for a suit. Did I look like I needed a suit? (laughs) Uh, No, don't answer that. We are very suspicious about people who are trying to sell us something. We think there is no such thing as a free lunch. And that is true also of church and religion because we have to admit it that religion has often been used as a way to make money. You see it all the time. You just, if you've got satellite or cable TV, you see people telling them, we offer you this wonderful thing, and for this series of talks, if you pay $25, or if you buy this for 30 pounds, then you will get this. So when we read something like this, which as, you, as we examine it, you'll see that it's just incredible, there's a, a kind of natural suspicion And I think uh, as we look at it, I hope that you'll see, I hope your suspicions will be overcome. Because what this is talking about is our most basic needs, our most basic needs, and the false provision that's made, and then the real thing that we need. There are many things that people try and tell you. The point of of advertising is to get you to want something that you don't need. We need water. We need food. But do we need that extra insurance? I got a phone call yesterday. Right, a guy, was just, he was absolutely brilliant. He almost persuaded me to buy an insurance. That When I thought about it, I said, no, just give me 24 hours and let me think about it. And when I got off the phone and, and thought for 24 seconds, I realized I've just, by doing that, I've saved myself a lot of money. But he was brilliant. He was so, so persuasive. Stuff you don't need. But what we're looking at today is stuff that you do need. And it doesn't matter who you are, every single person needs this. So, firstly, God gives an invitation to those who are thirsty. Come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And the the come, the introduction there is in the kind of original Hebrew language, it's this idea of shouting out, hey, you, pay attention. He's, He's trying to grab our attention, and he points out a need and a provision. And here's the need, it's very simple. Without water, you're going to die. You need water. It's just such a, a precious gift. You, um, we can complain about the waterworks going up and down the Perth Road just now. But don't complain. Because we live in a country where you turn on the tap and you get clean, fresh water that you can drink. It's a wonderful gift. A wonderful, wonderful gift. But here, he's not speaking about physical water. 
he's speaking about a spiritual thirst. He's speaking about being spiritually drained, spiritually empty, spiritually tired. I'm so tired, sang the Beatles in one of their more obscure songs. I was just a a Beatles fanatic, so I, I know all the words of all their songs. But I'm so tired, I haven't slept a wink. I'm so tired, my mind is on the blink. I wonder, should I get up and fix myself a drink? There's just something about us as human beings that says merely existing is not enough. And here in this picture, it's an image of somebody going and having uh, selling water. And water is what is needed. Do you know if you know your Dundonian history, if you ever go to Clato Park or Lintrathna or whatever, that one of the big jobs in Dundee used to be a water barreler. And they were people who had uh, horses and they had big barrels that even the oldest person here won't remember this um, but they, <laughs> because this is a long time ago. But they had big barrels that they would go up and they would fill the barrels up at uh, Clato or Lintrathen, and then they would come back and they would just go around the closes and it would be a penny, a penny for uh, a big jug of water. People would bring out their jugs and they would do it. And there were hundreds of uh, these people who made their living in that way. Well, that's almost the image that's here. If you imagine somebody coming along uh, Perth Road and just shouting out, water, water, and That's one thing that was really, really needed. So people will go out and get it. So the identification here is that we as human beings are spiritual beings and we have a spiritual thirst. The provision that's made here is you come to the waters and it's the idea of something that is absolutely full. It's an image that's used throughout the Bible. So uh, Jesus speaking to the woman at the well, says this, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So that's the first thing. We are spiritually thirsty and needy people, and God is saying, I've got the waters. Come to the waters. Let's go on to the next one. Come all you are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money come by and eat. Here again is the need. And the need is, you're hungry, but there's an inability and a helplessness. And again, you apply that spiritually. You can't make yourself spiritually alive. You cannot fulfill yourself. You can be yourself all that you want, but you will never ultimately be be satisfied. So, the problem is, if you have no money and you're hungry. You go to a garage showroom, you've got no money, you can't buy that car. You go to a a posh frock shop and you've got no money, you can't buy it. It looks lovely, but you can't buy it. Or the image here really is of being outside a restaurant and you see the diners, you see the pictures of the food, and above all, what gets you is the smell that wafts through of the sizzling steaks. And you are famished. But you just can't go in and help yourself. It's a bit like, I don't know if you can smell it. I can smell it here. Uh, The soup that Neil and Jenny have been cooking. The smell is wafting through. Well, you will get through uh, if you wonder. You're welcome to stay. 
But just imagine that. Imagine what it's like to be really hungry and not being able to satisfy that hunger and thirst. Now, I think what happens in our culture and what happens in the world is that people will just simply say things like, tough, it's the way it is. There's no point in longing. Just suck it up. What's interesting for me about Christianity and how Jesus Christ operates is he doesn't operate by the economics of the marketplace. This provision that's made here is not made for those who can afford it. It's made for those who are poor. Come, buy, and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. There is provision made. We uh, sometimes sing the song, Jesus paid it all. And he is the one who has made provision for our spiritual needs. And in lots of other ways as well. We always give thanks at a meal because we believe God has provided. I think my, my favorite story about all of that is there was a, a classic uh, lady, a Highland lady, who was bl- known as Blind Mary because she was blind. And uh, she went to something called the Strathpeffer Convention. If any of you have ever been to it, I used to go to it. It was great. And uh, she went, and Strathpeffer is a beautiful place up in the Highlands. It's a spa place. It's quite a posh place in some ways. And it's got this big posh hotel. And she went and stayed in the big posh hotel for the whole of the convention and had a great time. She had a ball. Loved going to hear the teaching and the praise and loved meeting with people. And anyway, she came to check out. And she went to the desk. And the receptionist said, how are you going to pay? And she said, my Lord will pay. And she pointed upwards. And the receptionist said, oh, that's good. That's fine. Because there was a Lord actually staying in the hotel. And uh, he just assumed that she was one of the servants or something. And so she just went off. And that was it. And he he was so amused at this, he ended up just paying for her anyway. um, She was a real character. Well, in a way... The Christian is somebody who's always looking and saying, how am I going to pay for this? How am I going to pay? How am I going to pay? And especially in a spiritual sense, say, well, wait a minute. Jesus provides. That's what's being said here. Come, come, buy and eat, you who have no money. Let's go on to the next one. Not just the poor are invited, but we're all told to come to the feast. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And here the picture changes a little bit. It's not just water. It's saying wine and milk are used as uh, examples of a kind of fuller life. We're created for much more. If uh, I took Ewan McGregor's soliloquy about the big television and the washing machines and the cars, the thing about all these things is the minute you buy them, they begin to fade and to date. And it's so funny because um, we changed uh, our 25-year-old TV. Honestly, it's, it was it's like it came out of the ark. It, it'd take three of you to lift it. It's as wide as it is long. And I'm just so amazed at modern TVs. I sound like a really old guy now, but, you know, like they're thin and, <laughs> and so much more powerful. Uh, but you change it and you get it out of the box and you set it up and immediately... There are things that could start to go wrong. Immediately, it begins to date. And someone 
uh, as I indicated earlier, someone phones and says, look, we want to insure you against your television breaking down or dating or whatever. You know, you can't. You can't insure against that. There's got to be something more. Ecclesiastes says this, what do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? You work really, really hard, and yet it just doesn't seem to work out. And here's a provision that's made. Come and get wine and milk without money and without cost. Now, that's where the suspicion comes in. When you're offered something free or something cheap, it's usually because it's the end of the line, it's rubbish, or they're trying to persuade you to go and buy some other better stuff. But here, there's a complete reverse picture. Jesus offers us the very best, so much so that nothing you could buy, nothing you could earn would ever come anywhere near it. He says, come and feast. Let's go on to the next verse. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you'll delight in the richest of fear. Now you see, most human beings do not buy into the, if you get something free, it's, it's good. We all think that we can earn, that if we just do this, then we will deserve things. And Isaiah now starts speaking about people who, in effect, buy their religion. People who think that they can buy their own way to heaven. People who think they can earn it. It's what we call a works-based religion. It's a lady who's sure all that glitters is gold, and she's buying a stairway to heaven, and when she gets there, she knows if the stores are all closed with a word, she can get what she came for. In other words, people who are so used to having so much money that all they have to do is speak a word, and they get it. And Jesus says, no, that's not you. You could come to this church and be a multi-billionaire. Nice to meet you. Um, but it makes not a way of difference in your standing before God. And with all your money, you cannot buy what we offer. You cannot buy what Jesus Christ offers. Why do you spend money, says Isaiah, on that which is not bread? And what he's really saying is, why do you spend money on things which do not satisfy? John L. Mackay says this, what is procured at considerable expense in the trading of this world does not provide inner nourishment or lasting benefit. If you just think of all the things that you have bought, they will not meet your inner needs. They will make you feel happy for a while, probably a very small while, but then they'll probably create more worry, but they certainly will not meet your innermost needs. I work all night, I work all day to pay the bills I have to pay. Ain't it sad? And still there never seems to be a single penny left for me. It's too bad. In my dreams, I have a plan. If I got me a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work at all. I'd fool around and have a ball. Except you wouldn't. It would be a meaningless and empty life. Isaiah says this in 46 verse 6, some pour out gold from their bags and weigh out silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith to make it into a god and they bow down and worship it. Isaiah 44.20 says, Such a person feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself 
or say, is not this thing in my right hand a lie? It's a horrible picture, which goes the reverse of what our culture says, because our culture says, you work hard, you get this. You fulfill yourself, you will be happy. And the Bible says, no, never, ever works like that. So, what's the provision that God makes for this, this emptiness, this searching, this spiritual hunger? First, it, it's amazing. First of all, he just says, listen, listen to me. In other words, he talks about how God reveals himself. How could we possibly know? Anyone can invent a religion. Anyone can make things up, and lots of people do. How would we know if anything was true or real? I'll tell you. What if God revealed himself to us? And that's what is being said here. Listen. Listen to the word of God. Give your full and undivided attention to it. You can't do anything. It's like we're on a wee hamster reel just going round and round and round, and God speaks to us and says, stop, stop. Listen to me. Get rid of your spiritual deafness. Do you really want the good things. Listen to me and eat what is good. You want the really good things in life. You want to delight in the richest affair. Then listen, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. I mean, what do you do with somebody who you're trying to help, you're trying to encourage them, and they just put their fingers in their ears and say, no, I'm not listening, I'm not listening, I don't don't want to listen, I don't want to listen, I don't want to listen. It's so frustrating. And God's saying, basically, listen up. And then he talks about something else, his covenant love, my faithful love. I'll make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. Uh, One of the many verses in the Psalms about this, but one here is Psalm 89, verse 3. You see, I've made a covenant with my chosen one. I've sworn to David, my servant. And this is a a picture. It's It's a word that's used that just talks about faithfulness and real love. And it's saying that God makes a promise to be with his people and to care for his people and to provide for his people. And that covenant will never, ever be broken. Your car will rust. Your TV will wear out. Your home won't last forever. Your body doesn't last forever. But God's covenant love lasts forever. Let's go on to the next verse, because it becomes a little bit more obscure for those of us who are not used to this. See, I've made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Now, there he's using a a phrase about the witness. How do we know something is true? Well, God would have to tell us. And people say, well, I wish God would give us a sign. Well, he has. There's always been covenant signs. With Noah, there was the rainbow. Those of you who were here last Sunday night, uh, we were going back and a couple of friends were following us. And I pulled in and stopped uh, the car wash there, not because I wanted to clean my car, but there was this glorious double rainbow over St. Peter's. Uh, in fact, it was over Dundee, but it was also over St. Peter's. So I stopped and I took a photograph of it just to show my friends how blessed we were. You know, this was a sign that God's blessing was on us. And it's just um, uh, wonderful. I remember uh, Owen O'Rourke coming back from hospital, being utterly amazed when the rainbow seemed to actually hit his car. And The rainbow was a sign of God's covenant blessing. For Abraham, it was circumcision. For uh, 
Moses, it was the sprinkled blood on the covenant, the ark, and the altar, and so on. But for Christ, the sign is the renewed universe. Not the destroyed universe, but the renewed universe. And the the ultimate witness of that is the Holy Spirit. He bears testimony. He convicts us of sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come. He shows us the way and the truth. So when people go, if only God would show us, what they usually mean is, if only God would show enough for my intelligence that I could agree with him. And when you think about it, it doesn't, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But if only God would show us, yes, he does. He does reveal himself. There is that witness, David, this, this witness of David, that's just the witness of the whole Bible and the witness of the Spirit to Jesus Christ. And one more, just this last verse. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for He has endowed you with splendor. The context of that promise is that tiny wee Israel was in a mess, was being attacked, was being destroyed, and God says to her, but the nations are going to come running to you, not to destroy you. You will be a magnet drawing people from all over the world. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, kings will see you and stand up, princes will see and bow down, because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. And that's a picture of the church, because that's one of the great things I love about Christianity. People talk about being multicultural, and they talk about diversity, and the talk is very, very easy. But the reality is difficult. And where I see that reality most of all is in the church. Even in this congregation, I see people from different nations and different backgrounds and different opinions. And everyone is equally welcome. What unites us is our faith in Jesus Christ. Not in our nationalities, not in our social status, not in our wealth, not in our abilities, but our faith in Jesus Christ. Let me go on just to mention a couple of other verses just before we finish. If we can. One from Revelation The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. That is the whole story of the Bible. Right in the very last chapter in Revelation 22, it's summed up by saying, take the free gift of the water of life. Now, John, when he wrote that, the apostle John wrote that, he was the last of the apostles. The church was being attacked. People were being killed. And he was in exile on a desert island, uh, Patmos, where there was no natural drinking water. It had to be brought in. And yet he, he writes about this wonderful free gift of the water of life. Why do people not accept what Jesus offers? Well, I think there are intellectual difficulties that people have, and that's fair enough. 
I think that these, these need to be dealt with and worked out. And I think there are cultural difficulties. And that also is fair enough and needs to be dealt with and worked out. But at the end of the day, I think that most people who reject what Jesus offers reject it because they are in the worst possible position. They're thirsty and don't know it. Calvin says this, those who are puffed up with vain confidence and are satiated or who are intoxicated by earthly appetites do not feel thirst of soul, will not receive Christ because they have no relish for spiritual grace. They resemble those persons who are in want of nourishment, but who, because they are filled and swollen with wind, loathe food, or who, being carried away by their own vain imaginations, feed on their own stupidity as if they were in want of nothing. Men are so enchanted by the devil that they choose rather to wander through deserts and to vex themselves in vain than to rely on the grace which God offers to them. It's so much harder, isn't it funny, that the Christian church, sometimes you get people saying, oh well, the church gets on so much better amongst the wealthy. Why? How does that make any sense? It doesn't really. It's not that the wealthy are not welcome, it's just often that for the wealthy, as Jesus said, their wealth is a further barrier to them coming to know Christ. Many, many times. In fact, I think you'll find this. You'll find that the wealthier a community gets and the wealthier a country gets, the more it's inclined and likely to turn away from the gospel. Because what happens is this. You go to people and you say, well, are you, um, do you have a spiritual need, spiritual hunger? They say, no, no, no. I've got this. I've got a full bank account. I've got this. I can, we, we, can, we, we go away every second weekend to France or Norway or to some ho- posh hotel somewhere. We've got a great life. We don't, we don't have time for any of that stuff. It's why it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to me when you get people in the church say, well, we need to go for these people who are quite wealthy and then the, the poor, they're so much harder to reach. Why? Why do you think the poor are harder to reach? Are you not aware of what the gospel actually is? It's good news for the poor. And you can be very wealthy. I I, um, met a man once who was a very, very wealthy man. And he was a broken man, a very broken man. Because as he told me, he said, I've got it all and I've got nothing. I've just got nothing. I've got it all and it's all worth nothing. And that's why Christ comes. There is such great provision Christ never runs dry, rusts, rots, or leave you. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. He says, if you thirst, come to me. And I think the one example I finish with is a woman whose life was a bit of a mess. That's putting it mildly. She'd had at least five husbands in that culture. Uh, was quite something. And the man she was now living with wasn't her husband. She was out collecting water at a well because she needed water, but she was on her own. The women would usually go in groups, but she was, not, she was out. And Jesus spoke to her, and she was shocked that this man spoke to her. And who knows what went through her head, but she began a conversation with him, and he didn't condemn her. 
and he didn't condone her. He just recognized her deepest need. And he said this to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Because the promise of Isaiah 55 is that everyone who comes to Christ and asks to be filled will be filled. I don't know how it happens in each individual case. I know many people's experiences are different. But I do know this, that the first step, if you like, to becoming a Christian is recognizing your need, not going out and doing lots of good things. And the second step is seeing that Christ provides that need and coming to the waters. So there's two visions of life, maybe three. Irvin Welsh's train spotting, the mundaneness of normal life, contrasted with the excitement, inverted commas, of neglecting life or rejecting life and choosing drugs, or contrast it with the reality of choosing Jesus Christ. It's an offer that is open to all. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray that as we reflect upon it, that we would be doers as well as hearers, that we would come to you. Those of us who have already done so, how we need to come again and again to the fountain of living waters. We are thirsty, Lord. We are hungry. Feed us. Quench our thirst. Fill us with your spirit. And those of us who as yet do not know you, help us as we reflect upon all of this to acknowledge our need of you and to commit our way and our lives to you. In your name we ask it. Amen. We're going to finish singing the song, um, Jesus I Come. I think many of you will know it, and if not, you'll catch on. We'll stand to sing, and then please remain standing for the benediction. And then afterwards, there's tea and coffee, so uh, please just help yourselves from the, the counter, or you'll be helped at the counter. You'll be served it and uh, make way so that others can get it. And if you've got any questions or comments, please speak to me at the door as well. Let's stand and sing. Out of my bondage, sorrow and night, Jesus I come, Jesus I come. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.